a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars Tales from the New Republic Edited by Peter Schwafer and Craig Carey Read by Decade Bird Publishing Featuring Joe Funderburk Gathering Shadows by Kathy Burdett For the first time in years, Harkness couldn't stand the silence. He had two options. He could lie with his good eye open and think, or he could lie with his good eye shut and think. It didn't matter either way, because the cell was pitch black, and the only indication that he wasn't having a strange dream was the smell of something dead or dying in the same room. Maybe it was him. All during the interrogation, Harkness had kept his focus away from the pain and the questions, and where he had put his focus, he could not remember. But he wasn't required to do it anymore. It hurt to breathe. It hurt to be wearing clothes. It hurt to swallow. The nicest thing the Imperials had done for him was not to put his boots back on his stinging feet. Moreover, there was a humming sound in his head. It could have been something to do with where he had placed his focus, or it could have been an after-effect of the drugs, which brought his mind to the image of the round, black interrogator droid that had administered them, which, in turn, had left him with a vision of sickly colors, distorted sounds, and a sensation similar to that of having needles in his brain and his eyes and the whole inside of his head. That thought, coupled with the humming sound, sent him into a near panic and he decided to drown both elements out entirely. Hey, he said. His voice was hoarse and thick, but it echoed and that made him feel better. At least he wasn't floating in some infinite vacuum. Hey, yeah, this is great. Way to be, Harkness. He thought about all the stories he had heard about prisoners who had been locked up alone for decades and gone insane. He had expected that any time in solitary confinement would be a paradise but now he could see himself in two years, drooling, talking to himself all the time. People would look at him funny and whisper about him. On the other hand, wasn't that their normal practice anyway? Harkness decided he would probably be fine as long as he never answered himself. Well, he said, it could be worse. I doubt it. Harkness froze. He had been answered by a female voice a short distance away. Hello, he said tentatively. Yeah, said the woman. Her voice was raw, and its thick nasal quality suggested that she had a broken nose. But her tone was steady, the sound of a person in the comfortable situation of things not being able to become worse. Who's there? She slurred her words together, and it took a moment for Harkness to extrapolate that she had actually said, Master Sergeant Jai Raventhorn, Alliance Infiltrators. Harkness absorbed that. I thought High Command dissolved the infiltrators, he said. Rub it in, why don't you? said the woman. Ha, said Harkness. It wasn't a real laugh, but it was the only positive response he could come up with. Raventhorn's voice carried the depth of the numbness, the pain, 
the humiliation, and the relief that was in Harkness right then, and he dismissed the automatic assumption that she was some Compnor agent planted in the cell to get him to talk casually. It also sounded as though she were shivering, as Harkness was. Most likely, she had been done exactly the same way he had, and that made him furious. But he didn't want to tell her that, because she might think he was being patronizing. So what do you do now instead, Sergeant Raventhorn? He asked. Who wants to know? Harkness. Harkness what? It suddenly occurred to him that he couldn't recall his first name, if he had one at all. Harkness what? Jai asked again. I think it's just Harkness, he said. More enthusiastically, he added, I'm a mercenary. A merc? Really? I don't think that's what I am. Try to remember. We're just experiencing the aftereffects of the mind probe. This was just a guess on Harkness's part, but it made him feel better. And Jai evidently believed it because she took a few moments to think. Finally, she said, Oh, wait. I work in Intel now. Intel? Were you with Red Team 5? I think so. Yeah, I was, she said, and there was no trace of pride in her voice on admitting that. But then came a sudden spark of interest. Are you one of the mercs who tipped us off about this place? No, but guess what? What? I think there might be an Imperial garrison here on Zelos. She gave a half-amused snort. You think? Is the rest of your team around here? They're dead, said Jai. Oh, Harkness said. I'm sorry. I'm not. She gave a heavy sigh. I don't suppose you told them anything. Who? asked Harkness. He was feeling confused. His lips started to feel numb. The Imperials? No, said Harkness. And then he was struck anew. Hey, what? I didn't tell them anything. He had completely shut it out of his mind, but his interrogators had realized that mind-probing him was useless and therefore the interrogation was a failure, and they had tortured him just to make themselves feel better. Suddenly, Harkness felt positively warm inside. It was the ultimate test, and he had passed it. He could actually feel himself grinning. There was not a lower place that could possibly exist, and his situation could only improve if they had him killed now. He didn't remember ever feeling so secure in his life. Yeah, said Raventhorn. I heard you the first time. How about you? He asked. You tell them anything? No, nothing. Good for you. Yeah, good for me, she said unenthusiastically. Doesn't that make you feel great? Not especially. You know how many people make it through interrogations like that? If they don't talk, they usually just die from the physical punishment. I know. My point is, the Imperials could have done worse things. They could have run a catheter straight up your nasal cavity into your brain. If you didn't die, you'd be jelly. You're a lot of fun to have around, said Jai. I'm serious, Harkness said. Although he didn't know what exactly he was feeling, it was almost giddiness. Listen, you can go back home and tell everyone you didn't crack, and they'll give you a medal or something. Yeah. They would, Jai said in complete disgust. That's what's wrong with the New Republic. What is? Medals. Glory, you know? These days, they give stuff out if you remember not to wipe your nose on your sleeve in front of General Nadine. Jai's voice was fading, and Harkness's vision seemed to narrow to a pinhole. 
there was a sensation of a cool gray fog beginning to permeate his body from underneath him. I can't feel my hands, said Jai. Me neither, said Harkness. He didn't want to talk anymore, but he knew the silence would seep into the fog, into his body, and the humming. Why wouldn't it stop? Do you know him? Harkness asked. Who? General Maydeen. Do I? asked Jai. I don't know, said Harkness. It got quiet again. Harkness was finding himself less panic-stricken about it. He was cold all over, but he was getting comfortable. He knew he should have tried to stay awake, but he hadn't been so relaxed in a very, very long time. He felt free. He wanted to savor it, even if it meant dying, especially if it meant dying. In fact, he would have let himself drift off entirely except that Jai said, I wish they would have. Her voice seemed to ring, not off the walls, but all through Harkness's head. Would what? He asked. I wish they would have turned my brain to jelly. Silence. Harkness's mind immediately cleared itself out. Wait a second. What's that mean? He asked. I just have this feeling, Jai said. Like what? Like there's nobody waiting for me to come back. What is up with this place? Said Platt, for what was about the third time in 15 minutes. Troob glanced up from the information console. I said I don't know, he told her irritably, although he could understand what Platt was talking about. Passengers and flight crews were roaming throughout the spaceport, checking their cargo specs at public maintenance terminals, slumped in chairs still waiting for their ships to pass muster, rushing to catch the next shuttle. Perfectly normal. But the locals, the maintenance people, the desk personnel, and the green-eyed humans, all had a raw, shaky look about them. Trube usually associated expressions like those, and the scent they gave off, with sheer terror barely held in check. I mean, we've been waiting for four hours now and nobody knows anything. Dirk could be dead somewhere. Harkness strikes me as rather resilient, said Trube. I doubt he ran into any serious opposition. Like what? That Imperial garrison nobody knows anything about? Trube didn't answer. The whole point of the mission had been relatively simple. There was a stash of Imperial-issue weapons being transported in, disguised as ship parts. Platt, Trube, and Harkness had planned on liberating the weapons for their own personal use. Platt had a couple of smuggler friends who were only too happy to provide a distraction. At a place like this, with the spaceport personnel totally clouded over by fear or whatever, nobody saw Trube and his friends take custody of the alleged ship parts. Or nobody cared. The hitch in the plan came with Harkness, after they had the weapons. Platt and Troob hadn't worked with Harkness for very long, but it wasn't hard to gather that he had some sort of personal vendetta against the Empire, where Platt and Troob would not have bothered to ask where the weapons came from. As long as they turned a fair profit, Harkness had to know, which had led him to some of his contacts within the New Republic intel and somebody leaked him the information that there was currently a team investigating a probable hidden Imperial garrison on Zelos. While Platt and Trube were discussing terms with an arms dealer at the south end of town, Harkness had rented a repulsor lift vehicle and told them he would be right back. That was four days ago. He's crazy, but he's a good man, Platt said. I like working with him. 
despite the vendetta thing. I agree, but I was hoping this trip wouldn't be... Excuse me, folks, somebody said. Troob and Platt turned around. Standing behind Platt was a green-eyed starport official in a light green uniform, holding a data pad. I've got the... Right here. Here's the... He held out the data pad. Oh, right. You're the guy I talked to earlier, said Platt. Yes. About the information you requested. First of all, I'm sorry it took so long. Don't worry about it. Although I wouldn't have thought Skiff Reynolds would be that hard to track down, said Platt. Well, we've had security problems before. There was a shipjacking about four years ago, and some crime lords got involved. What did you find? asked Troop. The man swallowed and held his data pad close to his chest. I don't know how to tell you this, he said. Platt and Troob exchanged glances. What? said Platt. The skiff blew up? What? No, but there's been a... A what? Tell us. Uh, a mistake. On the readout. Platt visibly restrained herself from striking the man. What do you mean? asked Troob, reaching up and putting a hand on Platt's shoulder. Well, it says here that the gentleman you're looking for rented a spaceport skiff that he took out past the Badlands, all the way north, into the mountains. So what? said Platt. It's impossible. Nobody goes out there. Ever. Why not? He hesitated. After looking over his shoulder a couple of times, he drew himself in close toward Platt and Troob, who drew in close toward him. Their heads were almost touching. There, he said in a low voice, is where the dead can walk. A week earlier, Jai had been sitting in the communications tent at a flimsy metal table, with the comm unit placed in front of her, when her CO's voice came over the channel. Raventhorn, he said, we're in Sector 3 now. Looks like there's a couple of scout troopers guarding a bunker. Jai put down her protein stick and swallowed. Well, whatever you do, sir. Don't. Moving in to attack. She put a hand over her face. Her CO was a Rhodian lieutenant who had somehow slipped past officer candidate school during the New Republic's post-indoor barrage of promotions. The rest of her teammates had little or no field experience. Just training. Great. 327 combat missions. And I never got a splinter. I moved to Intel and these idiots are going to get me killed on the first day. Sir. Negative. You shouldn't compromise your position. Is that clear? It's probably an... A shout came over the comm channel, but it wasn't directed at Jai. This one's for Mon Mothma, guys. There were faint rallying shouts from the other team members. Jai could actually hear the blaster fire. Quick little shots being fired off somewhere off in the distance. Then there was a louder shot, followed by an explosion. After that, the exploding never stopped. Within minutes, the Imperials had moved in and surrounded the command post. Jai ran outside into the cold, wet mountain air. A flickering glow lit up the sky in the distance. Ambush. Seconds later, a massive blaster bolt, artillery grade, slammed into the tent where Jai's remaining team members were sleeping. The whole thing was immediately swept into flames and took the munitions tent with it. Jai didn't hear the explosion just felt herself rising up in the air, and then a numb sensation shot through her body. She never remembered hitting the ground, but suddenly she was lying on her stomach, 
blinking furiously and spitting out dirt. When she looked up again, there was a bright, artificial light shining into her streaming eyes. Get up. A gray shape stood over her. His voice was muffled. The rest of what he said was lost to the ringing in Jai's ears. She could feel an unbearable heat coming from the burning tents. But the gray-clad person stayed where he was. Several moments later, there were about twenty of him all around her. She was jerked to her feet. Hands over your head. Do it now. Jai had never been cornered before. She should have lunged for somebody. Should have made them kill her right then and there. Because if there was one cardinal rule about being an infiltrator, if there was one thing you made absolutely sure you did, it was to die before being taken into custody. But a face flashed into her memory, and she hesitated, before she had a chance to register who she was thinking of, or to change her mind. One of her captors took a fast step toward her, the butt of his blaster rifle swinging at her face. Suddenly, Harkness shouted her name, and she started. What? She cried. What is it? Are you still there? Harkness said. Where would I go, idiot? She said, annoyed. I've been calling your name for twenty minutes here. Really? Yes. What happened to you? I was just thinking. Well, you could have answered me. Harkness almost sounded furious. Hey, look, I didn't do it to spite you. I just got to thinking. I'm trying to remember stuff. Harkness backed off. Well, but I was just... He floundered for a second. Okay, as long as you're not dying of shock over there. Only when you yell real loud like that. What were you thinking about? Harkness asked. Just stuff, said Jai. Did it get warmer in here? No, he said. Listen, mind if I ask you something? Yeah? You don't care about your team. You don't seem to care about the rebellion anymore. I care about the rebellion. It's the new republic I hate. And you say you can't remember if you have any family. Are you taking notes or something? I'm just curious. What made you resist interrogation? Look, just because I don't like what happened to the Alliance doesn't mean I'm willing to turn on it. That's not what I mean, he said. What did you focus on? I focused on not telling anybody anything. Harkness gave a terse sigh. Sarge, what is your problem? You are not listening to me. Harkness slowed his voice down. In that moment, in the interrogation room, when the drugs had worn off, and you tried to feel sorry for your interrogators, and you tried to hyperventilate yourself into a trance, and you realized that it didn't matter what you did, because those Imperials were living out their lifelong dream of making an infiltrator scream, and they were having so much fun that they might never stop. Jai stared at where she thought Harkness's face probably was. Yeah, she said. What was it that you focused on? What image came to your mind? I don't know. Then think. Come on. Was it a person? Yeah, it... Jai stopped herself. Yeah, she said. It was my little sister. Harkness shifted around. You're somebody's older sister? You sound like you think that's funny. No, no. I can just imagine you ordering some six-year-old around. Well, she's a little older than that. She's a major in special ops. So she gets to order you around. She wouldn't dare. Major Raventhorn, said Harkness. That name sounds familiar. Of course it does, she said. When's the last time you saw her? I don't know. 
Jai's brain clouded up as easily as it had cleared, and she felt a throbbing tightness all the way from her shoulders up to the back of her head. I thought I hadn't seen her since she was about 12, but I can see her with an adult's face. I thought I'd just talked to her a few months ago, or last week. Keep thinking, said Harkness. What about you? Me? No, the other beat-up Merc across the room. How come you didn't talk? I don't know. Keep thinking, Jai said, with more than a trace of sarcasm. No, really, I can't. But I feel like I knew a minute ago. I'd love to know what they did with our heads, Jai said irritably. She found that she could lift her arms now and kept trying to massage the tension out of her shoulders with one hand. After a while, she began to notice that the pain wasn't just in the muscles, but in the skin, and her hand came away wet. She forgot all about the tension and felt the burning all across her shoulders and back. Suddenly, Harkness yelled, Dirk! Jai felt her whole body tighten. If she could have sprung to her feet, she would have. Who? What? Who? Dirk. That's my first name. Jai's body relaxed, and her limbs shook from the tension release. Will you quit screaming out like that? Dirk Harkness, he said. I'm Dirk Harkness. Dirk Harkness, Jai finally said, primarily to get him to stop chanting it. What kind of name is that? You don't sound like a Dirk, so don't call me Dirk. He made some shuffling noises again. Jai imagined that he was lying on his side now. Fine. Harkness, she said, if you remember your first name, then tell me what kept you from talking. Dirk was silent. Well, I think, he said, it has something to do with this humming in my head. Well, 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 Platt said, peering over the ridge. Our boy Harkness certainly knows how to sniff out Imperials. How many? Troob asked. He was a short distance below her in the gully. Platt slid down the steep rock wall and handed him the macro binoculars. Look for yourself. I make about two, maybe three. See him? Troob got a foothold in the crags and hoisted himself up into the thick tufted grass on top of the ridge. I can't see anything, he said. The fog is even worse over there. The yellow switch polarizes the lenses. See the hill directly across from us? It runs into that cliff. You can't miss it. Now look at the ledge sticking out, out over the hill. You see the Imperials? No, just trees and plants. They're sitting in a dugout under a camouflage lean-to. Ah, yes, Troob said after a moment. Army scouts. But I don't see a garrison. I don't even see any valley, Platt said. Nonetheless, Platt's chrono indicated that they were 1,200 meters above sea level. This neck of the mountain was permeated by rocky ground, and sheer cliffs topped with conifer trees. The Bear Forest, the locals called it, or at least that was what their guide had called it before he had bolted with a repulsor lift a day earlier. At least he had left them some supplies and a one-person emergency inflation shelter, the latter of which had been an awfully tight fit last night. Still, Harkness had left a trail of blaster-charred trees and discarded rations. Those clues led Platt and Troop straight into the remains of the rebel camp a flat, raised area with scattered ashes, melted tent frames, and smashed comm equipment. The trees were bent and broken, probably crushed by AT-ATs. Platt was hard-pressed to imagine where one of those would have come from. All around was the acrid smell of burned flesh and spent blaster packs. 
Platt had to avert her eyes from the scattered bodies. Most of them had been shot in the back, Troop told her. The rest were charred beyond recognition. Those scouts must have an e-web. Did you notice? Troop said, adjusting the sights. But there are, let's see, 130 meters between us and them. I doubt they would be able to see us from there. They wouldn't. If I weren't wearing red, duck back down. You really ought to rethink your wardrobe one of these days, Platt, Troop said dryly. Platt grinned. I thought you appreciated my keen fashion sense. I do. It's my whole reason for living. Platt took back the macros. Then she looked up at the murky sky. Say, Troop? Yes. Did everything around here just go really quiet? Or is it me? They listened and looked at each other. All morning there had been a constant chattering and hissing of birds, which had suddenly stopped. Platt pulled out her blaster. Did our green boys notice us? She whispered. Let me have a look. Something came crashing through the underbrush behind them. Platt and Troop spun around. But when the thing came out of the mist, they just stood where they were, frozen. It was a Sullustin in New Republic military fatigues. But something about him was not quite right and horribly surreal. His eyes were a milky gray and his head tilted at a grotesque angle. His arms hung at his sides, waving around slightly at each step as the head jarred and bobbed. Walking dead, Troob hissed, backing away from the Sullustin, who seemed to be headed purposefully toward him. Platt fired a blue stun bolt into the Sullustin's chest. He gave a wild spasm and then flopped to the ground. Silence. Platt and Troob looked at each other. Was that real? She whispered and looked at the ground again. The Sullustin still lay there with his face in a mud puddle. In his back was a weak old blaster wound. Platt scrambled up the ridge again. One of the guards was situated at the front of the dugout, leisurely wiping down the barrel of the e-web. The other sat off to the side, staring into space, waggling his foot. Occasionally, he would lean out and look up at the gray afternoon sky. Doesn't look like they heard, Platt said. Troob gingerly approached the Sullustin. He fumbled for a pulse and then stepped back. Come look at this, Platt. It's incredible. Platt gave the guards a final look before sliding back down. What? Look, he said, pointing. The Sullustin lay twitching but not breathing. On closer inspection, he turned out to be completely immobile. The appearance of twitching was caused by the presence of hundreds of tiny worm-like creatures swarming around the hole in his back. Platt felt her gorge rise. She backed away, but there was no escaping the stench of the body or the memory of the worms. She leaned against a tree and vomited. Then she stood up and coughed a couple of times. Thank you, Troob. Thank you for sharing that with me. I'm just going to go far away from you right now. She ventured a little ways into the woods until the smell dissipated somewhat. Troob followed her. But don't you see? He said. This is the source of the walking dead illusion. Some parasites can release enzymes which provide electrical stimulation to the brain of the dead host. So this fellow may be biologically deceased, but there are artificial signals going out to his body. Platt turned around. Get out of here. Do you have a better explanation? Worms operating a complex bioelectrical system? You're making that up. All right, so I'm just guessing. But you know, said Troob, studying a worm perched on the top of his index finger, I have actually heard about a similar incident. Do you remember when I was working with Big Quince's ship? 
Platt rolled her eyes. You think I could ever forget? This was before I met you. I was not privy to a great deal of information, of course, but I recall a story that was going around. Apparently, some Imperial friends of Big Quince's were quite traumatized after seeing a squadron of dead stormtroopers stagger across a battlefield. At the time, I assumed that the storytellers were spiced. Now I wonder, worms inside your armor. Platt felt her entire body start to pucker. Supposedly, Troob went on, each corpse walked around aimlessly for a while, then went back to the place where it had been killed. And this guy was walking toward the green boys over there. That does not necessarily mean he died there. No, but something's definitely up with those guys, Platt said. I mean, look at them. If it weren't for the fog, they'd have the best vantage point in the whole mountain range. You want to tell me why they're just sitting around guarding nothing? Troob held up his hands. Furthest thing from my mind. Platt looked at the Celestin again. For a moment, she thought she was going to vomit again. But instead, she stopped herself and broke into a slow grin. Hold on a second, she said. I have an idea. When Harkness opened his eyes this time, it was still dark, but his body felt almost weightless. Not dizzy and thick, not drugged, just light. It was because there was less pain in his body now. He didn't feel as though he could sit up yet, but at least the possibility of moving didn't fill him with trepidation anymore, and the humming sound lingered at the back of his mind in a muted, almost pleasant way, he entertained the idea that it might be a fraction of the song Chessa used to sing. She had been on his mind for what seemed like hours now, although he couldn't remember ever hearing her sing. Hey, he said. His voice was stronger, clearer. Hey, Sarge. What? said Jai, still across the room. How you feeling? Better, I guess, she said. Me too. I don't know why. How long have we been here? Don't know. A few days? Maybe a week? Maybe an hour? Maybe. Has this, uh, ever happened to you before? She asked. Getting captured? Yes, he said. The memory of it appeared out of nowhere and surprised him. Nothing about his current ordeal had seemed familiar until now. Oh, she said. He expected her to ask if that was how he had lost his eye, and then remembered that she still couldn't see his face. In all the time they had been there, their eyes still had not adjusted to the darkness. Did they work you over that time? Yeah, worse than this. Can't imagine that. Well, maybe not by much, he said. Is that what you were thinking about over there? My prison record? Suddenly, he recalled something he had said earlier regarding the gray boys in the interrogation room, living their lifelong dream of making an infiltrator scream. Maybe Jai had been done the same way he had been. And then again, Jai, he said tentatively, do you still have both eyes? Huh? I mean, did they put your eyes out? Jai laughed, a surprising, loud, sardonic cackle. It took her a couple of minutes to rein it in. And then she said, hey, Dirk, who can tell? Harkness felt his lips twitch slightly. Then he heard more laughter, both of their voices ringing off the walls choking through the pain, and eventually dying down to a few stuttered gasps. When it was over, his ribbed ached and his throat hurt, but he felt an unfamiliar satisfaction. Why'd you ask me that anyway? asked Jai around a final chuckle. Forget it. Long story. Oh, well, you better not get started. I have to be somewhere in ten minutes. Yeah, I have a date myself, 
it occurred to Harkness that he did have some place to be, and people to be with, but where, and with whom? When the wall stopped ringing, the humming came back. Is that what you've been thinking about? asked Jai. My eyes? If it makes you feel better, Harkness, I'm told they're stunning. No, said Harkness as he sobered. I was actually thinking about Chessa. Who's that? My girl. Harkness thought about her face the last time he had seen her. It was a nice, normal day full of routines, loading the ship, the two of them flirting over the cargo load. But he had known, somewhere on the odd fringes of his mind, that she was about to die. He always knew when somebody was about to die. There was a softness to his or her features on those days. He would see it all through his stint in the Alliance, and he saw it for the first time in Chessa, standing there in the docking bay. Do you think about her a lot? She's dead, said Harkness, in his usual blunt conversation-ending tone. Dirk, how's Chessa doing these days? She's dead. Oh, they always change the subject after that, but not Jai. I know, she said. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. It's the way you said her name. Harkness didn't know how to respond to that. Jai had spoken with such confidence, and he hated it when people thought they could dissect him, like all those alliance counselors he never wanted to go to. How did I say her name? Like it was sacred. So what? That's how you said your sister's name? Yeah, but... Jai broke off, so abruptly that Harkness thought she had disappeared altogether. In her place, Harkness imagined a deep black hole generating silence threatening to suck him through too. Harkness could actually hear it, ringing, clouding his ears. Then his mind cleared out, and he realized what he'd said, and what it had meant. Sarge, he said. Yeah? Her voice took on a heavy, listless resignation that was very familiar to Harkness. He wished that she had the energy to crawl across the floor and smack him across the face, or that he had the energy to do it for her. When... He asked. Two months ago. Indoor. No wonder the name had sounded familiar. Harkness remembered briefly meeting a tall, dark-haired officer named Morgan Raventhorne shortly before the battle. A kid, really. He imagined that girl lying on the floor across from him, with a slightly older face. Jai remained quiet, but her breathing hadn't changed. She wasn't crying. He wondered whether she had cried over her sister at all, and if not whether she would any time soon. That idea puzzled him. Up until that moment, he had guessed that Jai's mind worked much the way his did, and that their experiences were similar, but he had never been so numb he couldn't mourn. Harkness's usual course, as a practice loner, was to give other loners a fairly wide berth. If they wanted to be left alone, he knew it, and he would honor it. But Jai was different. Certainly Harkness had lost his faith in the New Republic had lost his faith in love, and sometimes had lost faith in himself and his purpose. But he couldn't imagine what you did when you lost your faith in everything all at once. Chessa was killed by a bunch of stormtroopers, he told her. All she was doing was loading crates, but they started a firefight with her. They knew she was a rebel sympathizer. Jai went silent. Harkness went on. I had been thinking about marriage at the time. I was an idiot, you know. I was young. I thought I could have everything. I had a fiancé myself, she said. What was his name? Kroll. She said it the way she had said Morgan's name. Harkness didn't think he should say anything else after that. 
He felt embarrassed at having told Jai so much about himself, even after four years in the Alliance. Among people he trusted without question, he had not told anyone about Chessa. To those who had known her, he never talked about what she meant to him. The silence seemed to fill up all around him like some invisible snow, and he thought about the absolute last time he'd seen Chessa. Hasty, bleeding, not even a person really. Some dead people looked like they were sleeping. Chessa's expression was frozen, her eyes staring up at the docking bay ceiling. Surprised and horrified, he shook that image away and pictured her alive and healthy. Then he pictured her lying in a dark cell with a bloody nose and nothing to live for. At that moment, Harkness came across a part of himself that he did not like to acknowledge, and his stomach tightened. It was the part that had already begun to dissolve the security of his prison and his sense of unparalleled freedom. It was the entire reason the interrogation officers had seen fit to beat him. He had yet again discovered, to his dismay, the part of himself that wanted to survive, whole, undefeated. Harkness sighed heavily. Well, it was cozy while it lasted. He shut his eyes and took a few deep breaths, willing his body to heal itself, willing the pain to stop. It wasn't that he had any flair for manipulating the force or anything like that. He just knew that the reason he had survived all the injuries and setbacks and impossible missions that had marked his military career was because he had willed it, and that was why he wasn't going to die in this cold, rank little cell. By just wanting to heal, willing himself to live, he'd find some way to save himself from whatever the Imperials had planned for him. Saving Jai, on the other hand, that was the part he feared he couldn't do anything about. Radlin, said the taller of the guards, thoughtfully giving the e-web a final wipe and sticking the rag in his back pocket. His voice echoed off the mountainside. Radlin, I'm bored. I guessed, said Radlin, still sitting and waggling his foot. I mean really bored. Really, really. What are we even here for? There's no more rebels. Radlin said, it's procedure. Procedure is this thing you do where you follow orders, so you get that promotion thing we talked about. I'm just saying we should think up something to do. You're just all antsy because that Merc guy showed up looking for rebels. You're just all mad because we weren't the ones who caught him. Look, Rad, let's just go hunting or something. Pick off some of those walking dead rebels. Behind a nearby tree, Troop caught his breath when he heard them mention the walking dead. But it was too late. Right on cue, Platt came stumbling up the hill toward the guards. She was trying to imitate the Sullustan's jerky walk and his glazed expression, but her steps were exaggerated and her tongue was hanging out of her mouth. True put a hand to his face and shook his head. Nevertheless, Radlin leaped up, knocked over his chair, and stumbled backwards. When the tall one turned around and saw Platt, he visibly tensed, but he gave a terse macho laugh. Radlin! You want this one? Platt stopped when the guard's ledge was at her chest level. Excuse me, gentlemen, she said, clasping her hands behind her back. Is this the way to the spice mines of Kessel? Radlin gave a shriek and opened fire. Honestly, Platt, Troob said as Platt put on Radlin's camouflage jacket. I don't know how you talked me into that. You know there's nothing more dangerous than a blaster being handled by someone in a panic. Yeah, but there's nobody more fun to pick off than somebody in a panic either. Platt surveyed the area. You think there's any more patrols roaming around? 
Yes, so let's be quick about this. The dugout was actually situated in front of a deep, man-made fissure that ran straight through the cliff and out the other side. Trube and Platt were pleased to discover that this end of the fissure gave way to a relatively flat area of the forest. For 20 minutes, they made their way over fallen trees and scrub and large rocks. Platt was becoming increasingly nervous. From what she had seen, this end of Zelos didn't really have dusk. The sun just seemed to wink out in the evening. Moreover, the fog was still thick enough that she could see no more than two meters in front of her at, at a time. What are we going to do? She said, stepping in front of Trube and walking backwards. If we don't find the garrison before nightfall, I don't think that cheap survival shelter has another night's worth of... Trube stopped. Just a moment, he said. Do you hear that? No? What? Almost a rumbling noise. I didn't, Platt said, and then the ground underneath her disappeared. She felt herself falling, tried to scream through a dry mouth and clenched lungs, felt a violent surge of blind panic shooting through her entire body, and then a yanking sensation through her right arm as she stopped and dangled where she was. Trube had her by her wrist. What? What was? What just happened? She said when Trube had hauled her back up and she was on her knees on solid ground. Did I just fall off the... How come I didn't see... Trube, what happened? Trube didn't answer. He was staring over her shoulder, awed. Platt turned around just in time to see a black TIE fighter come whooshing up out of the ground about four meters in front of them. Both of them fell back in a shower of dirt and leaves, the deafening sound of the TIE roaring overhead, and Platt thought the sheer momentum of the thing might blast her into the mountainside. Then, just as abruptly, everything went quiet. They looked up. The TIE fighter sailed just over the tree level and then disappeared. When the pounding in Platt's head subsided, she looked at what she had just stepped off of. The ground ahead looked like an overgrown clearing. But now, Platt saw that she walked right off the edge of a sheer rock face that descended hundreds, perhaps even thousands of meters. Trube was next to her, staring into the gorge. It was impossible to make out the bottom of the valley, a dark well with layers of fog drifting over it. Plunging down into the darkness, the cliff wall was marbled gray, with step-like ridges naturally chiseled into it. There were also outcroppings along the way, so heavily overgrown that the plants and trees hung precariously out over the valley. Waterfalls poured out of the rock face in a number of places. After several dozen meters, Everything disappeared into a bluish-gray soup. Far below, winking on and off through the fog, there was a small blue light. And another, and another, and a hundred neatly lined up. Platt shut her eyes and then looked again. Running lights, she said, amazed. But it's too dark to make out the garrison. Hence the Valley of Umbra, Troob said. Yeah, I get it. Look at the waterfalls. Twenty credits says that's a leaky aqueduct. Look there, Troop said. Do you see that? There, and over there, all around. Platt looked. Weaving in and out of the cliff was a series of metal ladders and walkways, probably leading to maintenance ducts hidden in the rock face. Troop took her macros. Six hundred meters down. He looked up, and the distance across is twice that. I suppose we can safely say we know where Harkness is. Mist oozed up over the edge of the valley. Platt wasn't sure whether she should be excited or appalled at knowing Harkness's location. 
There must be a turbo lift or a flatbed loader leading down, Troob said. You have code cylinders in that uniform, correct? Yes, but I'm not keen on explaining why we're not at our post, or why one of us grew headtails and fangs and the other decided he was much freer as a woman. Troob shrugged. Then it's straight down. How? We'll take the maintenance ladder wells. They must eventually lead all the way to the bottom. Suppose somebody's working on them, genius. Why would they? They have repulsors. Yes, but I'm trying to delay this as long as possible. She looked at him. I really don't want to go down there. But you will. But I will. She sighed and slid down on her belly, wedged her foot into the cliff face and hoisted herself down. The nearest ladder was about five meters below, according to the macros. But it wasn't hard to get a foothold on the crags. Before long, the two smugglers were standing on a solid grassy boulder that jutted out over the valley. One of the rusty maintenance ladders, dripping with moisture, stuck out of the rock face nearby. I'll go first, said Troob, dusting up his hands with dirt and taking a step toward the ladder. Platt grabbed his shoulder. Troob? Yes, Platt. Why are we doing this? Harkness is our friend. So what? We have lots of friends. Troob stepped onto the ladder. No, we don't. Before Morgan had died, Jai had experienced several incidents in which she had forgotten who she was. The most prominent of them had happened about 18 months earlier, when she led a five-man infiltrator team to Bevel 3 on a supposedly well-planned assignment. They were to capture four Imperial agents, but somebody had tipped off the Empire. A squadron of Thai bombers appeared out of nowhere and raised the area. Everybody fell, except for Jai, who walked away without even a bruise. As usual, she got everybody out, but for the first and only time in her Spec Force's career, she didn't get somebody out alive. Long, the team's comm specialist, died en route to the medical frigate. Jai went through the next week completely numb, not responding much to anything or having any sort of recognizable emotion. High Command promoted her to Master Sergeant, and she didn't object, even though she knew it was a propaganda tool. No infiltrator assignment should ever have garnered that much attention, but this one had, and on her watch. Still, she accepted the promotion and went on about her routine business. Then, one day, rummaging through her locker, she found one of Long's gloves, and her heart shattered into a million pieces. Now, lying on the floor in the dark, Jai recalled that moment with a great deal of distance, as if it had happened to somebody else. The memory was vivid, and she could access the sounds and smells and visions of the time with clarity. No matter how hard she tried, however, she couldn't access the emotion. What would Long say if he could see that Jai had let the Imperials take her? Surely he'd be disappointed. But after two months of feeling nothing, suddenly there had been an onslaught of pain, fear, shame, every bit of which was preferable to numbness. For a couple of blissful days, her brain had been so ravaged by the interrogation that she had forgotten to be numb, and now she was back in the same old rut, wishing the pain across her back, the dried blood on her face, the memory of the Imperial soldier swinging the butt of his blaster at her face. Any of it would jar her back into emotion. I'm starting to wonder if we've been forgotten. Personally, I'm kind of hungry. Harkness's voice, coming out of another world. Jai had to mentally adjust herself. Huh? 
I said I'm kind of hungry, he said. Hmm, she said dully, and that maybe they forgot about us. That got Jai's attention. What, you think they left us to rot? Rotting away. That was something that wouldn't grant any real emotion either. Her thoughts drifted back to Bevel 3. Several minutes later, there was a scraping sound next to Jai's head. Harkness let out a quick, pained gasp. What? asked Jai. Sorry, that hurt my eye, he said. I don't get what you... Didn't you see the light? Jai hadn't seen anything. The hatch by the door. It opened for a second, said Harkness. I'm not facing the door, Jai told him. But you're near the door? Yeah, I think somebody slid something in here, he said. Jai lifted a sore arm and felt around where she thought she had heard the scraping noise. After a moment, she touched something soft and wet, burrowing her finger into it. She touched metal. I think it's food, said Jai. On a tray. Taste it, said Harkness. Jai licked her lips. They were metallic and salty with dried blood. I won't be able to. Anyway, I bet it's drugged. You think? You're the prison veteran here. Maybe they want us doped up for some reason. For what? Another interrogation? They don't need to sneak us drugs for that. Not in our condition. They could just come in and... Harkness stopped. And what? Is it me? Or did that food come awfully quickly? He was right. It came as if he'd asked for it. Oh, great, said Jai. We've been monitored? How could they have overlooked that? She tried to think whether she had told Darkness anything about her past missions, or where she was stationed, or anything at all that could have been useful to the Imperials. While she was still racking her brains, she heard the door open, and then footsteps vibrating through the floor. Right next to her, light flooded into the room, and Jai shut her eyes. Somebody grabbed her by the hair, hoisted her under her arms to a near-standing position. Get up, rebels, said a man's voice. It was familiar, but Jai couldn't place it, even as she was dragged from the room, even as Harkness began shouting and his voice trailed off behind her. Platt and Trube came straggling across the valley floor sometime close to 0600 standard, Trube estimated. Somewhere beyond the fog and the overhangs, he thought he could see the sky turning pink. Working their way down the cliff had taken the entire night, although everything had blended together in the end. Trube didn't really remember what the journey had felt like or even looked like. They had just pressed on and on, barely speaking to each other, and when they thought they just couldn't take another step, they'd do it anyway. Then one more, and one after that, and another. Most of the night had been eaten up in that fashion, and now that the climb was over, Trube felt dazed and dreamy. He looked to Platt, clambering unsteadily over the rocky ground in her oversized imperial boots. She was covered in dirt and white rock dust, and her face was almost gray with exhaustion. Getting across the valley floor was no less difficult than the trip down, as the ground was covered with small, wet, rocky crags. Platt caught him looking and gave him a wink. Troop smiled back. Platt's eyes were tired but clear. The approach of morning was making them both feel sharper. Moreover, they were both filled with wonder and a sense of brilliant accomplishment. If they didn't have a greater mission in mind, they would have considered the climb alone to be story fodder for years to come. Right, let's not blow it now, Troop thought as he heard a loud, raw voice echoing across the valley. He grabbed Platt's sleeve and pulled her behind a boulder. A few minutes later, the yelling got louder. 
A squadron of drilling Imperial soldiers came crunching by, the sergeant screaming out cadence. His voice rang off the canyon walls and floor and disappeared, way, way overhead. His men marched on, yelling back in unison. They clambered easily over the rocks, past Troub and Platt, across the deep stream where the waterfalls let out. And finally, the troops jogged underneath a landing platform and disappeared around a corner. On a distant cliff wall, a massive flatbed lift sat with an AT-AT on top of it. Two army grunts stood off to the side, giving hand signals to the pilots. Standing in the base's weak spotlights, they were a sickly yellow color. Small operation, Troop said. Pathetic operation, Platt indicated the landing platform. If this is a standard garrison, there should be a droid maintenance hatch near there. Will the droids give us any trouble? No, they're maintenance droids. And the humans? We shouldn't have any real trouble finding an unmanned security station. This Sergeant Rattling guy should have enough clearance to at least get a look at the prison roster. And then? No idea. Troob sighed. Don't fade out on me now, Troob. You're the one who made us start down the cliff. I know. Come along. They made their way over the rocks and across the stream with considerably less grace than the soldiers had done but it wasn't long before the landing platform glowed blue over their heads, and Platt struggled to get a code cylinder out of her jacket sleeve with her numb fingers. The only light source they had had throughout the journey down the mountain was one glow rod, which had gone out shortly before dawn. With the platform overhead, it was almost pitch black where they were. Platt felt around the wall for what seemed like an incredibly long time before she found a slot and inserted the code cylinder. As Troob's eyes adjusted to the dark, he began to see a seam of light where the door was located. Something suddenly occurred to him. I say, Platt. Oh, yes, Platt said happily, as a swishing noise heralded their way into the garrison. Let's hear it for the servant's entrance. Don't you think this door is a bit large for just a... Uh... Both of them winced as the garrison's blinding light shot out of the doorway. Troob was just starting to see again when he heard somebody yell. Hey, who's out there? Troob's entire body tightened. There was a long silence as he focused on who was speaking. A man in a green imperial uniform, like Platt's. Beyond him, there were two rows of what looked like a patrol, maybe ten or twelve men, standing in a small docking bay. Beyond them were speeder bikes, neatly lined up and resting on maintenance cradles. Um, coming through, Platt said, stepping inside and pushing past the soldier nearest the door. Troop followed, his head down. He knew that was completely pointless. There was no way they hadn't been made already, and yet the troopers were shocked into indecision for a moment as Platt made her way past them with a stunning audacity. Finally, one of them grabbed her by the arm and said, I don't think so. Run! Troop shouted, charging ahead. The Imperials around him were still confused, but the ones by Platt were already drawing their blasters. Platt jerked free right out of Radlin's jacket, and stumbled forward. When she had gotten her bearings enough to run at a decent clip, she started kicking the speeder bikes off their perches. Troop followed suit. Blaster fire spattered behind them, over their heads, into the speeder bikes. The soldiers who had gathered enough sense to run after Troop and Black came roaring blindly across the docking bay and tripped over the vehicle in their paths. This really is a pathetic operation. Troop thought as he ducked behind a bike and fired a couple shots. Still, 
The Imperials had numbers on their side, and he could see some of them digging comlinks out of their belts. In a few seconds, the whole station would know what was going on. Troob looked over at Platt, who had situated herself at a computer terminal near the turbo lift. He squatted down, got one fist around the handlebar controls of the nearest bike, and his other hand on a foot pedal. Then, he pressed the activation button and set a random automatic course. The bike lifted off its maintenance cradle, shook for a second, and plowed straight into the pile of its brethren strewn across the floor. There was a loud popping noise as the whole mess burst into flames. The blaster fire stopped for a moment. True ran over to Platt and ducked behind the terminal. A voice over the comm unit announced to the entire station that there was a fire in Docking Bay 3. Droid maintenance hatch indeed, Troob shouted, reaching around and firing at those troopers who weren't busy running for an extinguisher. Where did you get that one from, Platt? Palpatine's military guide for the recently lobotomized? All right, so they changed a few things. A few, yes. Calm down, Plout shouted. I found out that there's only one detention level at this place. Where? Level 8. I already called the turbo lift. Troob glanced behind them. Several meters away, the turbo lift door was open and waiting. Ahead of them, some of the troops were still trying to return fire, and the rest were shouting orders at each other or into their headsets. You know it says here that the whole station only outnumbers us a hundred to one? They must have captured Dirk out of sheer paranoia. What do you want to bet they don't even have a shield generator? Just keep your head down and think up some other grand plan, Troop said, and ran into the turbo lift. Behind him, Platt called. I already thought of one. Fight back. Fight back. Fight back. The interrogator's voice came through between waves of dull pain across Jai's stomach. Her hands were free, but she didn't try to stop him. In the face of the Empire, you are nothing. The infiltrators were nothing, and you were a non-commissioned nothing, because you didn't have enough brain power to become an officer of nothing. The pain stopped. Jai heard the interrogator step back and then begin pacing by her head. Well, I guess this is getting us nowhere, he said loudly to somebody else. Jai lifted her head enough to see the reflections of several gray-suited people across the polished floor. The room wasn't very big. There was a massive desk against the far wall, and most of the rest of the space was taken up by a computer terminals. The light was soft, almost relaxing, an atmosphere of both utility and comfort. Somebody's office. The interrogator pushed her head back down with his boot and stood there for a moment. I am taking my blaster out and setting it to kill he announced. Now I am aiming it at your head, Sergeant Raventhorn. A moment or two passed. I said, I'm aiming this blaster on kill at your head. Another moment passed. Here it goes. Pause. It's on kill. I heard, Jai said. He lifted his boot from her head. Okay, I've decided not to kill you, he said in a tight voice. But I will when I feel like it. Another moment passed. Oh, get on with the interrogation, said another exasperated voice. A woman's voice. I haven't got my whole life to spend watching you annoy her into submission. This is how you conduct an interrogation, Major. You show them who's got the power. Currently, it doesn't appear to be you, the Major said. Interrogation takes control and skill, which means you're hopeless for starters. Oh, aren't you hilarious? Look, I don't care if this is your garrison. 
Interrogations are my forte. Why are we even doing this here? I say we take her downstairs and do this properly. Footsteps across the floor, coming closer to Jai. This isn't the same as before, the Major said. I've got a different plan. Did you not read the mind probe data results? Who needed to? Take one look at her. She doesn't care about anything, the interrogator said. You could set her on fire and she wouldn't care. Of course she wouldn't care, idiot. You could set her planet on fire. You could blow up the New Republic and she wouldn't care. Jai was curled up in the fetal position. The voices of the Imperials disappeared into a loud ringing, which Jai thought was in her head. But then there was a deep, tinny voice in the room announcing a fire in one of the docking bays, and she recognized the sound of a fire alarm. After a few moments, the alarm died down. The Major was finishing off a sentence. See what happens when we bring her mercenary friend in. Jai focused on the floor again. There were a few drops of blood near her head. A couple more now. A blemish on the spotless Imperial War Machine. It made Jai's head clear out a little bit. In fact, she suddenly felt lucid. Bring her mercenary friend in? Jai looked up, past the face of the interrogator into the face of the Major. Their eyes locked for a second, and Jai saw the Major's face register that a fatal mistake had been made. In that instant, it was no longer a question of whether Jai was going to talk. It was now a question of who was going to reach the Major's blaster first. At that moment, Dirk's world was the mezzanine across from him, and the ground, floor, eight stories below him, the view divided by vertical black metal bars. One of the Imperials was trying to bang Dirk's head on the rails in a vain attempt to get him to keep still. Apparently, Jai's indifference had led the guards to believe that her cellmate would be just as easy to drag to the interrogation chamber. As a result, several blasters lay scattered across the corridor, two officers lay unconscious by the cell block door, and somebody was screaming for reinforcements over his comm link. Harkness wasn't sure how many there had been to start with, or how many were left. He just knew that he couldn't manage to get a hold of anybody's blaster, not with his burning, slippery feet sliding out from underneath him any time he tried to stand on his own, and not with a terrified, unarmed guard shaking him by the collar. Harkness wasn't sure he could prevent his head from being shoved right through the bars. But then it got worse. The guard gave up on the bars and started ramming Harkness's head against the floor. There was a resounding pain through Harkness's skull, a blinding ache that shot through his temples. Then there was the sound of a blaster being fired. No, several blasters. And some shouts. The guard hesitated. That was all Harkness needed. He reached back, got his fingers underneath the guard's helmet, and yanked the guard's helmet clean off. Now Harkness had something better than a blaster. The guard turned out to be a stocky blonde kid, whose face took on an expression of unadulterated panic as Harkness got up on his knees and started bashing away with the helmet. Stop! He's out already! Take it easy! Someone grabbed Harkness by the shoulder. He looked up, blurry-eyed, at someone wearing white and green, an unmistakable imperial cap. Back off! He shouted swinging the helmet at the person's knees. Whoever it was managed to dodge out of the way and said, Hey, whoa, it's me. Take it easy. Harkness stopped himself. His vision cleared. The Imperial was a platinum-haired woman wearing a fancy white smuggler's shirt and half a trooper uniform. He looked wildly into her eyes, which shifted nervously back and forth as she took him in. Remember? 
We're your partners. We brought you to Zelos. Someone else appeared behind her, a Twi'lek wearing dark glasses and gray robes, caked with dirt. Harkness wasn't sure what their names were, but their manner was familiar. He felt his body relax. You, he said after a moment. We went to the... Didn't you help me nail down a shipment of Imperial Blasters? You're Troob and Platt. Actually, we're Platt and Troob, Platt said. You came all this way to get me? We're funny that way. Do you think you can stand? We're going to get you out of here, okay? Harkness jerked away, as if he suddenly remembered to be crazed. No, they took her down the hall. Who? Jai, one of the New Republic agents. They were taking both of us down to the chamber, but she wouldn't even fight. Which chamber? Where? Troob asked, grabbing him around the waist and pulling him to his feet. Harkness leaned on Troob's shoulder, with most of his weight. Troob didn't seem to strain at all. Which door? Harkness looked down the corridor at the row of black doors to his right. The guards had taken Jai, through the one with the large white imperial seal painted on it, although Harkness could have sworn he remembered being shoved through two red-stamped doors before his own interrogation. Moreover, this white-stamped door turned out to be labeled Command Center. As Platt worked at getting a code cylinder into the slot, Harkness found himself looking at his reflection in the metal doorframe. In fact, several seconds passed before he realized that the reflection was actually his. It blinked when he blinked, and moved its head when he moved his. But its face was pale with a mangy light brown beard sprouting around the hollow cheeks, and the white eye patch was now a filthy gray. Platt turned around scowling. I lost the other code cylinders with my jacket. Anyway, there's no way Radlin had this much clearance. But you did say you had thought of a plan, Troop said. Yeah, but it had a hitch in it, Platt said. Who cares, said Harkness. Tell us. Okay. First, I pretend I'm a prison guard and tell everyone I'm bringing Troob in as a prisoner. Then we get into a heated fight in front of the Imperials, so that they're totally confused for half a second, which is all the time we need to stun everyone, get into the cell block, and free Dirk from his cell. Dirk and Troob looked at each other, and then looked at her. Of course, that's somewhat irrelevant now, Troob said tersely. Yeah, see, that's the hitch. Harkness leaned his head against the door. He couldn't hear anything going on inside, which made him feel worse. He should have known something like this would happen. It wasn't like it was with Galthin's people. Pick a prisoner, teach him respect, and then forget about him. That was why Harkness's eye couldn't be replaced. The subsequent infection had destroyed the nerves. It wasn't the pain of the torture that hurt the most to remember. It was the sense of being nothing, a brief amusement to be thrown into a cell like a heap of garbage and then forgotten for three months. Certainly, he hadn't been left in solitary, but his cellmates that time were Alliance Intentions wimps, and not part of his team. They wouldn't even help him make an escape attempt. The sound of Troob's voice brought him back to the present. Oh no, they're here. The four turbolifts on the opposite side of the mezzanine arrived almost simultaneously. One after the other, the doors opened, and Imperial troops and officers came pouring out all of them armed, all of them running, all of them shouting. Within seconds, Dirk, Platt, and Troob were surrounded. Drop your weapons, now, they obliged. Harkness's head started throbbing. This is not happening, not after all this, not after I made up my mind. Stand down, somebody shouted, a new voice. 
Everyone froze. Two figures were standing in the doorway to the command center. Harkness blinked a couple of times. He saw a female Imperial Major with a red-spattered uniform. Her face flashed into his mind several times since the interrogation, but he hadn't recognized it until now. Then he saw her. Jai was as bloody a mess as Harkness. Her eyes squinted in the combination of bright lights and probably a splitting post-interrogation headache. There was a thick red seam across the bridge of her still-bleeding nose, an arm locked around the head of the barely conscious Major, and a heavy Imperial-issue blaster aimed at the Major's right temple. Stand down, Jai said again. I have a proposition. A young, skinny lieutenant spoke. Let her go, rebel, he said. Drop your blaster. Put your hands on your head. You can't afford to waste time taking us back into custody, Jai told him. And why not? Because the Major and I made a little call to the planetary government. The lieutenant blanched. A faint murmur started up amidst the troops. Jai went on. Apparently, they aren't amused to find out what's been lurking here in the Valley of Umbra. I think you'd best evacuate your troops before Governor Null sends a full-blown airstrike. Don't you think that would be a little paranoid, rebel? Now Platt spoke. Don't you think the entire population of this planet is a little paranoid, buddy? Aside from all that, I'm giving you an order, Jai said. Because as of three minutes ago, Zelos too belongs to the New Republic. Isn't that right, Major? The Major took a deep, rattling breath and nodded faintly. The lieutenant stared at Jai for a minute, his eyes darting from her to Harkness to the Major. It was obvious the boy had never made an executive decision in his life. Cut your losses, son, Harkness told him. Do what the nice lady says. The lieutenant looked at the floor. Then he turned around and signaled the troops. Initiate evacuation procedure. Come on, do it now. Let's go. Nobody seemed to object. Some of the grunts closer to the turbo lifts had already put their blasters away when Jai said, Airstrike. Within seconds, the troops had begun to disperse, some of them swearing, most of them trying to shove through the crowd. What about the Major? The lieutenant asked Jai. I think she'll be coming back to my base with me. I also think she'll be loaning us her shuttle to get out of the valley. You don't object, do you, lieutenant? Unless you'd like to come along. It doesn't appear as though your troops are interested in stopping us. Troob said. The boy licked his lips and mumbled something about docking bay one and clearance. Then he turned and walked away. Harkness untangled himself from Troob's shoulder, leaned against the wall, and took a few excruciating steps toward Jai, who was visibly struggling to keep her adrenaline going in order to hang on to the Major, aside from Jai's injuries. Nothing about her appearance surprised Harkness at all. She matched her voice exactly, and she did look like her sister a taller, blonde version with the same ice-blue eyes. The only difference was what seemed to be behind the eyes. Morgan's had been clear and knowledgeable, a window to the brilliance beyond the absent-mindedness. Jai's were bright and painful and hard to look into. Across her left cheek was a long pink scar, testimony to a wound that had never seen a Bacta tank, but in a strange way, it didn't seem ugly or out of place. Something inside him felt oddly settled, seeing her for real. And in those troubled eyes, he saw a glint of recognition as she finally took a second to focus on his. Harkness? Sarge? You're just as I pictured you. You mean happy and handsome? Here, I'll take Major Psycho, Platt said. 
You guys lean on Shrub. Just concentrate on staying conscious until we get inside the shuttle. Jai seemed to notice Platt and Shrub for the first time. Who are you people? Your ticket off the planet, Platt said, taking Jai's hand and shaking it. At first, Harkness had resisted the idea of being injected with a heavy sedative. He needed to remind himself that he was on board Platt's ship, the last chance, already light years away from the garrison, and that the Major was imprisoned in the hold. At least that was what Platt had told him. He didn't remember anything beyond hobbling into the Major's Lambda-class shuttle and sinking down into a shiny black passenger seat. Beyond the concept of taking the sedative, however, he just didn't want to sleep. In his experience, sleeping drugs tended to pull you down into heavy fever dreams you had a hard time waking up from, and he knew what kind of dreams he was going to have. Sorry I don't have a Bacta tank on board, Platt said, rummaging through the cabinet next to Harkness's medical bunk. But it's only a couple of days to Runa from here. Jai, I've got a couple of rebel friends out there. They can help you contact your base. Thanks, Jai said. She was lying in the bunk across the room on her stomach. Troop came in. No bedpacks in the forward berthing compartment, he said. You're kidding. I thought we just stocked up on... Oh, here we go. Platt tossed one to Troop. I don't want to sleep, Jai said. This really isn't a strong mixture, Troop told her sitting on the edge of her bunk. It's actually designed to kill the pain while improving the quality of your sleep. That way your injuries don't interfere with your normal sleep pattern which means you're less likely to have vivid dreams. Oh, okay. And listen, Platt said. It's not a big ship. If you need anything at all, press the green button on the side of the bed. Yeah, that one. Okay. Troub and I are going to get a little shut-eye. Is there anything else you two need? Leave the lights on, Jai said. After Troub and Platt had gone, Harkness said, What'll you do when you get back? Are you kidding? I just inducted an entire planet into the New Republic. I've got lots of desk work to do. Eh, bag it. Make somebody else fill out the forms. Yeah. Jai was quiet for a moment. Then her voice seemed to slur. Maybe when I get back, I'll tell General Maydeen what he can do with this intel assignment. Maybe you should. Maybe. Harkness felt the sedative seep into his limbs. Warm and heavy. The room seemed to mist over in the same blue-gray fog as the one that hung over the Valley of Umbra. Sarge? Yeah? You ever think about becoming a mercenary? Sometimes, she said. Then her voice seemed to gather a little strength. Yeah, I think that would be pretty nice. You said you don't care much about fighting for the New Republic. Why? You proposing something? Maybe. She seemed to drift off after that. Harkness felt the silence tugging at him but it seemed to be easing him into a warm darkness, not a bottomless well. Then the humming noise came back. Harkness started. He felt a surge of dismay, but then he settled back and closed his eyes. It hadn't been a song or anything to do with Chessa. The humming was the sound of the engines on Platt's ship. Mm -hmm.